Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Raj Naik's talk show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. Welcome to Fridays Live with me Raj Naik. My guest is a motivational speaker and an executive coach. He is a brand and content strategist. He is an author, but most importantly, he is the papa of comedy. the one and only papa cj harvard business review described him as one of the most influential indian stand up comedian and i have the pleasure this evening of having my dear friend papa on this live chat papa thank you to thank you for uh, being on friday's live it's wonderful to be here raj and for starters please call me cj it would be most inappropriate for you to call me papa that was my question for you i mean You know there must be a lot of people calling you papa right especially women how do you react to that raj why do you how why do you jump in and say especially women i mean let me <laughs> throw throw that back in you why would you phrase the question that way i i don't feel bad calling you papa honestly i mean <laughs> that actually I'm very, young, of... i'm very young i'm very very young at heart i'm sure i'm sure you i'm sure you are i know you are so i mean uh, with papa so most of the international comedy industry does call me papa uh, cj's initials for my name which uh, you won't find out until you read my book uh, but i started doing my stand up in london and when i started doing comedy i always wanted to project india in a very positive light so mo I, i was the only indian comedian in the uk so most of my early material was always projecting india in a positive light and i think subconsciously in my head i thought to myself that angrezon ko bhi sochna chahiye ki unka koi baap hai so i think that's where the name papa cj came along and one of my earliest lines in the uk was that you shouldn't mess with us indians because we come from the land of the kama sutra we can screw you in more ways than you can count and uh, you spoke about kama sutra i mean today you know when a comedian cracks a joke and starts speaking something like this and anybody can take offense so how do you how do you react to that i mean people are getting jailed for even not saying things that uh, you know you know when it comes to offense that's that i mean we can do a two hour conversation just on that i think it's very interesting space in that a lot of offense in my in my experience has to do with intent now for somebody like myself 99% of my work is live work i rarely do anything online So when I'm performing live the people who are in that room understand the context understand my persona understand my intent and so there's rarely any trouble but if the same content was recorded and put on the internet people who were not in that room uh, will watch that and take it out of context and things go crazy but i mean this so here's the thing there is just there are very many different ways of looking at it uh one i don't get into a lot of trouble because by and large uh, religion and politics are two areas that don't interest me a lot so i don't r- talk about them a lot uh my comedy tends to be more personal and about my experiences uh, also i believe that if you're not fully informed about a certain subject uh it's best not to participate actively because at some point uh, people are going to poke you know holes in 
in your argument but when it comes to offense there are two perspectives both from sort of comedian's point of view and a reality point of view there are some comics so for example i've been at shows where i have had a girl comic get on stage in the uk pick on an 80 year old couple and do stuff that i as a comedian found deeply um, insensitive and offensive so i think when you're a comic on stage you have two decisions to make one is my point of view something that is so fierce that i want to make that i'm happy to upset people who are in that room or for me like if there's an 80 year old couple in the front i will not be insensitive towards them no matter how funny it is for the rest of the room so it is not that important for me uh, to make a specific point or crack a specific joke if i know it's going to upset people the setting also makes a difference if you have come paid tickets and come for a public show you have come to my environment i'm going to do what i want to do if i'm doing a corporate show if i'm doing a private event it is my duty as a professional to respect the guidelines and the boundaries of the space that i'm in i mean why would you invite me into your house to insult your guests i can't tell you how many times it's happened in my uh, in india so a lot of the work i do are corporate shows uh, an agency will call they will negotiate they will decide no we don't want to hire you uh, they will hire a 25 year old comic who will go and do this gig now i'm not saying 25 year old comics aren't talented they're very talented but by and large they learn their art form doing open mic nights in small pubs where the average audience is a 25 year old male so the nature of the content they do doesn't work for a corporate gig where the average age is 45 suddenly you get on stage and you start doing jokes about masturbation and firstly the event manager is deeply embarrassed the client doesn't know where to look you get pulled off stage halfway and the client is not saying i will not hire him again the client is saying i will never hire a comedian again because that is what stand up comedy is the other side is uh, i think we can talk till kingdom come about uh, how things should be but we also have to accept how things are so if you look at charlie hebdo for example uh, was it right that it happened you can debate that for 2 hours this is how it should be this is how it shouldn't be but are any of us surprised no because if you do certain kind of com- comedy or content there will be people who will show up with sticks outside your house so you have to take a decision as a professional whether you making that point is more important to you or whether your personal safety is important to you for me i mean i'm not that hardcore you know when it comes to uh, making a point uh, i'm there to make people happy to give them a good time it's all fun and games and uh, i disagree with this point of view that oh comedian should stand for this or stand for that to each their own you know for me i go into hospitals and do free shows for patients that's my way of uh, uh, sort of bringing happiness or bringing change uh, so i don't think uh, it is right for other people to tell uh, artists in any field uh, how they should conduct their art form sorry I, like i said like i told you before no, this no. interview I, t- i tend to ramble So if I'm going off topic anyway just let me know there's too many ideas no, come no, at the same no, time. No that's fine that's fine that's fine. Like this Sochcast tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. So I understand but my 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 question to you is I understand I mean each artist to its own and nobody can tell how one should behave. Yeah. 
you traveled and you probably been one of those Indian stand-up comedians who's performed in so many countries, right? Yeah. I mean, and uh, so tell me, which is the country you found where you felt you could really express yourself freely? I found uh, the UK was fantastic. I mean, I'm a little biased towards uh, the UK because I started my craft there. My first 700 shows were in and around London. And I find in the UK, you can talk about almost anything except race because the British carry a lot of uh, what I call colonial baggage. I have had somebody come to me after the show and say, you can't talk in an Indian accent because that's racist. And I was like, but dude, I am Indian. And he says, oh, uh, I didn't realize that. I said, why not? He said, because your English is pretty good for an Indian. I said, now that, my friend, is racist. You know, so, sure. the, the English carry a lot of colonial baggage. You can't do an accent. Whereas, it, it, it was a bit new for me. I remember as kids, uh, we used to watch Mind Your Language. Do you remember Mind Your Language? Of course, of course. And we used to laugh our heads off. And we didn't realize that it is racist. I went to the UK and people were like, oh, that's racist. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I think it's also because as Indians, we grow around with so many different communities. And we're constantly making fun of each other, whether it's Bengalis, Gujaratis, Marwadis, you know. And I went to a boarding school where we had people from everywhere. So, uh, we weren't really sensitized towards all of this. No, no, you say that, I mean, Mind Your Language, I know, was one of the most popular shows in India at that moment. Exactly. Uh, and, and yeah, when we, we never thought of it. It's only in hindsight today when you sit and look at it, you say, yeah, it was a racist show. Yeah. In fact, I remember this bit where... Uh, He's uh, Mr. Brown, right? Mr. Brown was talking to talking to that Spanish guy, and he said, uh, "You know, what do you call multiple cows? You know." So he says, uh, "He says a lot of cows." So he says, "No, herd of cows." And that guy says, "Of course, I heard of cows." He says, "No, no, no, a lot of cows is a herd of cows." He says, "No, now you're talking bull." <laughs> uh, did you perform in the US? I I did perform in the US. Yes. Uh, I've done a few series. I did so. I did my show Naked on Broadway. Uh, I've done Miami. I've done uh, oh, a few different series. I did. Oh, oh, how can I forget? I did Last Comic Standing, uh, which was this massive sort of reality TV show, uh, and there were three thousand contestants, and uh, we did a few different rounds. I got to the top ten, then we got into this house, and I, I still remember this uh, um, this American comedian saying, "He's like, oh my god, dude! Like ten million people watch this program." I like, boss, I come from India. If I open my bathroom window, 10 million people will show up live. <laughs> <laughs> In fact... So, uh, yeah. No, please continue. Sorry. Please. sorry. You are saying something. I said, I, said I, used to do, I used to do a joke about uh, reality shows. Yeah, and, I heard that. Uh, I'm not a fan of them, but I got, got caught into it when I was in London. And that whole Big Brother thing happened with Shilpa Shetty. And uh, people kept asking me, you know, as an Indian, as an Indian, what do you think? And I said, boss, in India, one billion people know that Shilpa is going to win, which she did. <laughs> because if you think about it, how do you win that show? Maximum number of votes. Yeah. How do you vote? You call in. Who the hell do you think is answering those phone calls? So the day an Indian leader or anybody decides that he wants to be the number one, get the maximum number of votes, it, it isn't very difficult, right? You just have to, uh, just, you just have to make sure that the population votes for you. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll have the idea. He sells you can suck that out. <laughs> so, so tell me, I mean, you have a lot of influence uh, from the UK. So you were born there, you studied there. What is it? 
So I studied there. My background was uh, dad was a tea planter, worked for one tea company for 35 years. Uh, I took a loan and standard middle class ambitions, uh, uh, you know, do a good degree, get a good job. So I went to Oxford University to do my master's in business. So did an MBA, took a consulting job in London, uh, worked there for three years, hated it. Uh, and then after I had paid back my loans, I took a sabbatical and I went to the Edinburgh Festival and I saw these guys doing stand-up comedy. And it was amazing. I was like, here's a guy on stage with a beard in one hand and a microphone in the other. And he was just having fun. And that was his job. And I just thought, boss, this is amazing. I've got to do this. So that's when I started. I mean, three months later, I was on stage and ended up doing about 700 gigs in the first three years. Uh, of course, after the first year of doing pure stand-up, I went broke. So I joined a recruitment firm. I used to work in the day, perform at night. And uh, I still remember uh, the level of hustling one had to do. You know, nowadays you go to these restaurants and you can drop a business card. Uh, and you know, one person gets a free meal kind of thing. That's how they build their database. I used to go to these restaurants in London when, when nobody was looking. I would steal those business cards and then cold call these guys the next day from the office, place them in jobs and get a commission. Wow. So, I mean, that part of you. So, so how, I mean, you said you went broke after doing so many shows. So, yeah. why is it uh, it wasn't lucrative? I mean, it wasn't paying you? Well, it's still not really a lucrative industry. I mean, when you start doing stand-up in London, so a professional comic uh, at a comedy club does a 20-minute set. As an open micer, when you start, you do five minutes and you don't get paid for them at all. Now, if you do an open mic in London, I mean, today as a comedian in India, it's far easier to start out. If you wanted, uh, in fact, I'm wearing the t-shirt of uh, the comedy store. If you wanted a five-minute slot at the comedy store in London as an open micer, there were 1,000 other comedians from across the UK who wanted that same five-minute slot. So what you could start doing is doing shows outside London. So you would go with two other comics, you know, the headliner and the opener. You would be the middle act. Uh, if you had a car, you would drive them. If you didn't, you would pay your share of petrol money and you weren't getting paid for any of these gigs. But the upside was when you went to, say, a Guildford, which is a smaller town outside London, 300 people would show up. And so you got paid nothing, but you were paying for transport. But one of the real upsides of that was, I mean, I have spent over 2000 hours in, in cars with other comedians who've been doing stand-up comedy for between 10 and 20 years. So on the way there, I would see how they would prepare their sets. I would tell them, please watch my set. Please give me feedback. I mean, that was comedy university right there, especially when you go to a room and you struggle to get hold of that crowd and suddenly you see the headliner come on straight after you and he's absolutely destroying it. You know, that's where your sort of learning and education comes from. So I think that was an invaluable experience, uh, but of course, financially zero. So, I mean, you studied at Oxford and then you took up a consulting job and I'm sure that you worked at a consulting firm and I'm sure it paid you well. I mean, uh, I know it's easy to say I went to Edinburgh festival, I saw somebody holding a mic and a beer mug. But you know, taking a decision like that, right, to quit your job and at a young age and uh, decide that you're going to do comedy when you really don't know how it's going to pan out. I mean, how easy or difficult was it? Not easy at all, Raj. I think it's very important to, you know, nowadays it's fashionable to say follow your passion. Uh, but as they say, passion doesn't put food on the table. So while you have to feed the soul, you have to feed the stomach as well. 
at the time i made that jump i had paid back my student loans i had enough money in the bank to get me going for about a year so i think it was a little i won't say easier for me but at no point was i ever taking money from anybody else i was living within my means and i was doing whatever side jobs i had to do to support the comedy i may have been doing a day job for 8 hours a day and performing for 10 minutes every night but in my head i was a comedian and the job was on the side and then eventually it got to a point where uh, i was able to sustain myself financially uh, through stand up so when when does it, when what is that point when you say okay now i can make this as a full time career how does it work they, when people start paying you <laughs> basically when people start paying you on a regular basis when you find you can pay your bills doing only your art form you see the thing is you love what you do you get good at it and then the money comes but that gap between loving it and the money coming is indefinite and you don't know when it will come there are friends of mine who've been doing stand up comedy for 20 years suddenly the lockdown comes and they're driving vans you know i have a comedian friend in australia very talented he is now driving a van because that's how things are right now so speaking about the lockdown how has lockdown impacted you it's been quite interesting i mean of course there is no substitute for live shows but i'm the kind of person who always tries to find the positive in any situation initially when the lockdown started i think most of us thought of it as a uh, as a productivity contest you know i'm going to do this i'm going to do yoga i'm going to do exercise i'm going to read and then after 3 weeks or oh, well I, i'm exaggerating when i say 3 weeks uh, my waistline will show you that there has been no sit ups that have been happening uh, then you think you know what this is rubbish it's going to get over soon until then i'm just going to sit on the sofa and watch netflix but eventually you find a rhythm and a balance i think the real upside of the lockdown is it has forced me to adapt uh, to the new environment and what it has made me do is bring to fore all my skills you know initially uh, and I, i'll elaborate on this uh, firstly i'm surprised at how well online comedy has worked all my life i have gone around telling people that stand up comedy is like sex you know it's best enjoyed enjoyed live not in front of a screen so if you're watching it on a screen you're surfing comedy porn but surprisingly i have loved being a porn star and it has worked wonderfully well but the other thing it's forced me to do is i mean today my competition if a corporate wants to hire me for a show and 99% of my work is corporate my competition is not another comedian my competition is netflix right why should they have me on a screen when they can watch these very well produced specials Uh, the answer to that is two things one you have to customize the content which really adds value and secondly you have to be interactive the other real upside of what it has forced me to do is to look back over my life at everything i have learned and bring all those skills together today when a client comes to me uh and they say you know for example corporate training you know what corporate training do you do i say no 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 you tell me what your problem is you know what are the issues you are facing and i'll find a solution for you so i'll give you an example raj i had an organization that came to me to uh, do a 30 minute corporate show a stand up comedy performance i asked them what are you doing they said oh we're doing a four day partner conference which is happening online i told them do you realize how boring it's going to be for people to pay attention for four days in a row online so they like yeah what should we do i said why don't you let me host it so they said okay let's do that 
in order to host this conference i spent at least 15 hours talking to their partners i learned about their entire organization i knew every presentation every person on the back of that uh, because i understood the issue so much they invited me to come and do corporate training for them which i have ended up doing add to that given the nature of my work i meet uh, so most of my gigs are to c level audiences now whether it's a 16 year old or a 70 year old i'm cracking the same dirty jokes with them it's a very one on one rapport and because you're a comedian you have no ulterior motive from them so uh, you're never seen as a threat so the relationship is a very pally sort of relationship so i've been in thousands of situations where i know two people who can help each other out and i say listen why don't you guys connect so the same organization has now asked me to do business development for them and i have helped them close just massive deals by just getting the right people in the room so i think the real learning for me in with the lockdown is to not put yourself in a box you know you're not just a comedian or an author or a coach or a uh, you're rajnayak i'm papa cj you know and i don't think it's fair to necessarily fit yourself in a box but to really think about how you can add value and help the other person in whatever way possible like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store interesting i mean uh, you know because in your head you always had stand up comedian and he goes and performs either does live shows of his own and things like that and it's an it's an eye opener for me from when you told me that 99% of your business is from corporates i mean that's a big eye opener see i don't have any fancy guys who manage me okay one i don't <laughs> live in i don't live in bombay you know uh, i don't have management when an agency calls me for an event they will only i also know when an agency has called me they've called me because the client has specifically asked for me then also they'll call the client and say no no he's not available and they'll send the guy on whom they can make the largest margin so i will tell you one more thing in an entire year raj maybe maybe there is one show that i through that i do through an agency everything else is direct client uh and uh, yeah i mean i i i i presume that it's word of mouth and uh, your website is yeah. there so people can reach you and things like that so tell me more about your personal background i mean you went to oxford you studied i got to know the comedy part so tell me your personal personal life i mean uh, you you were born in calcutta that much i know yes i'm born in calcutta a wonderful city to grow up in uh, the return on investment on nostalgia is 100% Uh, because you you can go back there and nothing has ever changed uh, time stands still in calcutta i joke that that is where ambition goes to die but uh, a beautiful city wonderful people very warm people uh, i think the greatest best blessing in my life uh, have been my parents uh, my dad is now 72 my mom is 67 dad rides a harley davidson motorcycle between the two of them in the last 15 years they have trekked up to everest base camp they have climbed mount kilimanjaro they have done annapurna base camp my mom has learned how to fly ultralight aircrafts my dad has uh, trekked up all the way to mount kailash and rafted down the zanskar so i think a large part of i mean not a large part everything that i am today or hope to be is due to the mindset of the two people who were instrumental in raising me i we share a common friend in uh, in leander pace and yeah. uh, we used to for a long time we used to go to school together on a cycle 
so uh, the 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 guy who used to work in his house his name was Liaquat so Leander used to sit at the back and I used to sit in the front and like his dad Leander was always late and I don't know if he still is but uh, and i still remember that i yeah, was what what like me telling telling this on a live chat but huh. we we i i will not go into details but we have a we have a code for it we call it the leander standard time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not surprised so what used to happen was the boys school of lamartine calcutta had two gates one was in front of the girls school so the cycle used to come and drop us there now i used to smile i was a cute little kid so the guard used to let me through He always said no to Leander. By the time the guard could walk across to the other gate, Leander would run all the way around and get it. So that's my uh, yeah. But very interesting. You said your dad uh, rides a Harley and uh, they trekked all along. Uh, your mother and your mother. You said that's something I caught on. Flies an ultra light aircraft. Yes. Yeah. So what's the well, what are their backgrounds? I mean, what's your mother's background? So my mom is from Bombay. Uh, she actually grew up in a reasonably conservative family. She's one of seven siblings. So uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly, my grandfather didn't have television at home, uh, and he was quite <laughs> and he was quite an active man <laughs> too. So my mom was the youngest of seven siblings, six sisters and and a brother. and everybody else in her family the other five sisters all married into sort of business families uh, she was the only one who married my dad who was a serviceman and my dad's side my grandfather used to be in the civil service so he he was uh, he lived in many different parts and i think his greatest asset was that he was in love with animals and he had every single kind of pet you could think of he had um, he had dogs he had deer he had white mice uh, in lucknow once he was given a leopard cub he had a baby squirrel that used to live in his pocket so he was this little doctor do little sort of fellow and uh, then he married my mother and took her to the tea gardens in the middle of a jungle and she was like boss i am having none of this in fact a very funny thing happened so my mom grew up in a house where nobody drank alcohol suddenly she goes to a sam in the middle of these gardens and tea planters drink themselves silly so my mom was like no no you know we can't have alcohol served in the house fine so you know new bride has come and all so she used to make all this fancy punch so the first time when all people came this oh you know very nice very nice after that people stopped coming right saying who's going to go to the daru milta nahi anyway then they used to get called to other people's houses then my mom told my dad listen if you don't serve alcohol you can't drink So then, my dad used to go and have juice in these places. Now, in the meanwhile, people kept asking my mom, "Have a drink? Why don't you have something?" So just to you know ward them off, she started holding a glass and putting vodka in it. Now, glass pakarte pakarte, she started drinking. So by the end of it, my dad was drinking juice and my mom was drinking vodka. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where did this flying come from? And it was just a oh, passion. Flying. Actually, my mom is just an adventurous person. You know, she just likes trying different things. I mean, 2019, at the age of 65, she'll kill me for saying she's 65. She went alone to South Africa for a month just to live and experience the place, which I thought was phenomenal. You know, uh, of course, two weeks later, I flew there and fixed up some shows in Joburg in Cape Town. But she just spent one month in Cape Town on her own, took a co-working space. 
uh, went and joined a little community there and just checked it out. How interesting. I mean, you know, it sounds very exotic. I mean, that's the life I would like to do. You know, just travel, go somewhere, just be there, stay for a month and come back. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know when we are going to travel now, the way things are. Uh, so that's nice. I mean, uh, and uh, where did you study? I mean, in Calcutta, I mean, from there, where did you go? You, you said so, you went to boarding school. I went to boarding school. Uh, in fact, I should tell you one or two stories from my childhood when you asked about my mom. When I was, I think about six years old, we had a teacher called Ma'am John who was very strict. So she summoned my mother to school. Uh, and my mother does not like being summoned. So mom goes in and I'm there next to her. And she says, yes. She, so Ma'am John says, your son has been using foul language. She says, okay, what did he say? The teacher said, I was, I said I was going to give a test on Monday. And he said, oh shit. So my mother looked at this teacher straight in the eye. And she said, oh shit, did he say that? So, but my, my mother was never summoned to school again. But uh, eventually I was sent uh, to a boarding school in Himachal called the Lawrence School Sanar. Uh, the, the famous or infamous people from there are Sanjay Dutt and Pooja Bedi. And uh, I loved it, yeah. I mean, we were on a 140-acre campus in the mountains with uh, fresh air, clean water, uh, 750 kids your age. Uh, and uh, I think there, was, there were two basic rules. The one is that you never tell on your seniors. You never tattle to anybody. Yeah, that, that's uh, every boarding school. I mean, that's a given. That's, yeah. yeah. And the second thing is that if you get caught doing something wrong, you will get a hammering. So either you learn how to take it or you learn how to not get caught or you don't do things. So, I mean, we got, uh, we got slaps. We got hockey sticks on our backsides. We got squash rackets. Uh, but, I mean, the stuff that we went through in today's day, day and age would be called child abuse. But for us, it was, I mean, everybody got it. So, it, it kind of felt normal at that point. You know, when I, when, I, when I think about this and I went to a boarding school as well. So, I sometimes wonder, do these things still happen or things have changed? No, no, they've changed completely. Yeah? You can't do any of this now. I mean, for us, the teachers would do it. Forget students. Where did you go to school, Raj? Where, which boarding school did you go to? I went to a military school in Belgaum. Ah, okay. So, in fact, my school was also initially called the Lawrence Royal Military Asylum. Yeah, and this was a, the Royal Indian Military School. Okay. Initially, so, yeah. Even we had a long tradition of a lot of uh, service children uh, coming to school. So, did you, I mean, when you were growing up, obviously, and... What did you want to become? I mean, I, what you become is different, probably much more than, much richer than what you thought. But what did you want to become? I mean, everybody had something, right? I want to become X, Y, Z. What did you I want think, to be? I think if I look back as a kid, I, I think as a six or seven year old, I probably wanted to be an actor. I mean, I used to, I used to think Amitabh Bachchan was, my heroes as a really young kid were Amitabh Bachchan and Kapil Dev. So those were... And at some point, it, I was, it was in my head that I wanted to go to Harvard. So, those were the three things in my head. Nobody, nobody as a young kid thinks, okay, I want to grow up and become a management consultant. <laughs> I don't think you'll hear that from a five-year-old. Yeah, but, but, but you, you became an actor. I mean, you, for all practical purposes, a comedian is also an actor, right? Actually, I don't yes, think a comedian is an actor at all. Okay. It's quite the opposite. The... the, the so, I mean, the first line in my book is that stand-up comedy is an outward expression of an inward journey. 
so what happens is that when you start doing stand up uh you want the confidence that you can make people laugh so you'll go for the easy joke so the kind of joke i would do is that uh, you know as somebody who lives in delhi i don't understand the language you speak in mumbai you know we call it bread you call it pav we call it pyaaz you call it kanda we call it a servant quarter you call it a 2 bhk so easy joke guaranteed laugh then uh, a lot of do we do observational comedy that stays all the way through so a sample joke of that is that i remember doing driving lessons in london and this instructor asks me and he says oh you indians you indians why don't you drive in a straight line i said listen i am from calcutta in england you drive on the left of the road in calcutta we drive on what is left of the road so that's another one then we tend to because we want to feel popular you you'll bash the normal people that are popular to bash so nowadays it's very popular to do rahul gandhi jokes uh the kind of joke i would do is that i was in singapore and uh, uh, i remember reading the paper and the front page of the newspaper it said there was a pig on the street so if there is a pig on the street in singapore that becomes headline news in germany it became a sausage in america it became the president of the united states of america so again very popular to bash trump nowadays so that you know you said something very you said something very interesting you said nowadays it's very popular to do rahul gandhi jokes and uh, yeah. other than you said trump bashing i mean uh, how do you decide what is popular is it because uh, audience somebody... response audience response in fact for all the jokes that we do uh, but but would you have ever tried of making a joke of a powerful leader i mean or wouldn't you even try i think everybody's tried them okay everybody's tried them uh but you you try them in safe spaces <laughs> <laughs> no because i was just trying to be the context of popular so i was just trying to understand yeah fair enough yeah. because because yeah. when you you refer to the us then you mention trump that's yeah. right so okay. in fact then then what would happen is the next stage is you want to be seen as an edgy comedian right so you will use bad language you will pick on positions of authority you will do jokes that make you look intelligent so for example there's a joke that i do about a uh, couple of them so i went to the us uh, under the trump administration i had a beard this officer looks at my passport looks at my beard he says you know what you indians you're a mistake in fact india is a mistake and i said come on officer as an american you should be grateful to us he said why i said well because when christopher columbus discovered america he was looking for india so to be perfectly honest you are the bloody mistake yeah. so with that now somebody is listening and thinking oh yeah you know then i do yeah. a joke about presidents and uh, i said you know give me a cheer if you think that pranam mukherjee is a good president some of them cheer then i said okay give me a cheer if you think that uh, you know abdul kalam was the coolest president ever and everyone cheers and i say i think so too but i'll tell you why because he was president of india the same time the george bush was the president of united states of america so he could have walked into the us gone up to anyone and said you know what your president is a dumbass if anyone turned around and said who do you think you are rocket scientist so the beauty of that joke is there's a pause and then they get it they're like oh yeah he was a rocket scientist but so these are the various stages of evolution but eventually you've got to work go inwards because we operate in a profession that has no boundaries no guidelines no social norms 
So you got to ask yourself, what are the things that I want to talk about? What are the things that I value? So the the journey is a journey towards authenticity. So you are not an actor at all. You are trying to be as honest to yourself as possible. You know they say it takes you ten years to find your voice in comedy. Uh, so what happens is we tend to we tend to experiment with different things, and you may try improv, you may try stand up, you may try working on a different subject. And the only way to know where the line is, not just for the audience but for yourself, is to cross it. And the beauty is that each time you cross that line, that line goes just a little bit further. So you keep reaching out in these different artistic spaces. until this kind of amoeba shape forms which is your voice i don't know if that makes any sense i'm trying to describe no, it in the way it lands in my head and thank you for clarifying because you put things in perspective for me because in my head it was again you know a comedian stands up there and he cracks jokes and he has to uh, act in a certain manner but now you clarified it for me so it's uh, it's good so tell me about naked You you want me to take that shirt off? Is that what you're asking, Raj? <laughs> I mean, come on! You start this interview calling me Papa, then you want me naked. I mean, <laughs> so naked. Uh, are you talking about the book or the show? Tell me about the show. So the show, the, I still remember the morning. I was sitting at home having chai in the morning, and the last line of that show came to me, and I just sat there thinking. there needs to be a show around this you know so the whole show was built around i need to build a story that gets people here and naked for me was so i have a very good friend called reg d hunter he's a fabulous comic based out of the us i think he's been doing between us and uk been doing comedy maybe uh, 25 30 years and he says there is a difference between a comic and a comedian a comic says funny things where it's a comedian has something to say so for mm, me interesting very interesting so f- and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with being either for the first yeah. 10 years of my career i was a comic i was doing jokes here's a joke here's a joke here's a joke here's a joke i think naked made me a comedian because there was more to it i remember the first time i tried out that show it was at akshara theater in delhi it was two and a half hours long raj and There was one bit in it which is about twenty minutes long with no laughs. It was very serious, and I had people coming to me, comedian friends, saying, "What's wrong with you, dude? How can you do that? There are people, like there are people crying. This is a comedy show," and I did not listen to them. And the reason naked is well got the kind of response I think it got is because of those serious bits. You know, essentially what it is is. Uh, and using the vehicle of my life to talk about the you know the human experience so it and metaphorically speaking uh, as human beings we build walls around ourselves which hide our deepest hopes and fears and desires and over the course of that show one brick at a time i'm removing those walls uh and while i do that you haven't seen the show yet you will uh symbolically i remove a, a piece of clothing as well but at the end of it while you are completely naked you are completely free and what worked really well in that show is when an audience member is watching that show they're not thinking oh this guy is talking about his life they're thinking he's talking about my life i have been through this i have felt these emotions 
I can't tell you Raj how many people have contacted me afterwards and said you know what if you can go through this and come out smiling and laughing you have allowed me to look at my life and my problems through a different lens and it was the first time in my life that I felt that kind of a connection with an audience and that was extremely rewarding for me so that's uh, again I've rambled about different things around it but yeah like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store now interesting uh the learning for me actually comic and comedy you know i mean that uh, also so, i don't I, i don't think you know coming to that earlier bit we spoke about i don't think you should put yourself in a box just because you're a comedian or a comic or whatever you choose to call yourself you can't either it could be you could do both people come into a room with you for an hour they need to leave happier or richer or more feeling better about themselves or enriched after that after that hour or hour and a half what you decide to do in it is up to you you want to do poetry you want to sing you want to do stand up you don't need to fit in you know innovate just be you whatever that is yeah but it all depends on the proposition right i mean uh... what the persons told you i mean if you told that you're coming for a concert then people are expecting that fair well well there's two sides to it with naked what happened was 99.5% of people liked the fact that they didn't expect that element of seriousness and poetry and things like that but there was that 0.5% which is like but bro i thought this was a comedy show yeah right so which is fair but i think sometimes that element of surprise works to your advantage where you're giving them something they don't expect. Yeah, I agree. And obviously you didn't promote it as a comedy show, you just promoted it promoted it as naked, right? Yeah. Or you promoted and and they I came think, with the expectation of comedy because of the perception they carried about you. I have to tell you this, I remember doing a fundraiser for the Nepal earthquake once. I was doing a show at Park Hotel and they put an ad for this show in a Hindi newspaper. Raj can you imagine what that ad read? It's a Nanga. It's a it's a Papa CJ Nanga. Aaj raat Park Hotel me, no baje, 500 rupees ke ticket. House house full bhi hua hoga. It was pretty full actually, but I, I don't think anyone came after reading the Hindi ad. But out of curiosity, what is the TG that usually comes for your shows? So my TG, what I love about it is that it is very well. It's it's from age 16 to age. 86 to 90 you know and i love having that mix in the room because i'm also a very interactive comic so i love being able to play the different generations against each other uh, and engage in those conversations so so tell me uh, tell me about your happiness project because i've read about your happiness project i'm quite interested especially because i've ventured into trying to do something in that space So the happiness project Raj it started when I lost uh, I lost a massive contract for a whole set of shows with a large corporate client and at that point I found that it wasn't the uh, the loss of that income that was bothering me as much as the fact that I wasn't able to go and do those shows for audiences that really wanted me to come and then it occurred to me that if the loss of income isn't doing so much damage to you know my mental state why am i not doing shows for people who need that income so i remember in the first year uh, i organized a fundraising tour i did seven shows in six cities within two weeks and we raised about 45 lakhs uh, for 10 different charities all from charities that work with women children animals 
then the next year i decided that i would this was pre covid that if you had a family member who had been unwell for a long time i would come to your home i would come to your hospital room uh, and i would just perform for them for free uh, i would do laughter yoga i would teach them how to do that amongst themselves and i would do stand up so i've performed in hospital waiting rooms i've performed for two people in a room i have performed uh, in a bedroom with six people with a lady 80 plus who has a leg amputated and goes for dialysis three times a week and i still remember after that show i told that lady that i said auntie main aapse jhoot bola this show is not for free the payment is every morning i need to receive a laughing photograph of yours 3 days later her son sends me a message saying cj you have increased her life span now when i take her photograph to send it to you she wants to look at it first to make sure she is looking nice oh so how nice how cute yeah so that was very gratifying then yeah. i think november 2019 i put something else out saying that you know if you i'm not a qualified therapist but if you need somebody to talk to and just want somebody to listen uh you know write in to me if i'm in your city i will meet you at the airport at a coffee shop i will buy the coffee just come and you know you're welcome to come and talk so it's not uh, i don't have a long term fixed project plan but i just like doing different things in whatever capacity i can do which uh, i yeah i believe that my mission is in life is to uplift people and help them be the best versions of themselves so that manifests itself Uh, in my comedy in my laughter yoga in my happiness project in the motivational speaking and the coaching stuff uh, and it gives me great joy to be able to uplift people yeah and and you bring a lot of happiness to other people's lives so tell me what is it that makes you happy what does it makes me happy um oh everything yeah a good cup of coffee india winning that test series in australia I'm very easy to please Raj Raj I don't have a uh, I'm a reasonably simple person I mean I uh, I go shopping once in 2 years I find a shirt that fits up pick up five colors I'm done uh, uh, good food oh my god I had the best lunch today uh, I love uh, a decent meal so I'm quite easy to please no uh, what so kind I, of I food do you like? what kind of food do you like you said I had the best lunch today so what kind of food do you like what what's the cuisine so, your favorite cuisine So today I had some really good salmon nigiri uh wow. which which is outstanding but uh, normally I love home food it's very boring but uh, under normal circumstances I travel a lot so ghar ki dal roti sabzi is I'm a happy camper and uh, you did mention that you had an ambition for acting though would you ever consider acting i mean if you get an you get an offer some somebody is watching or somebody is watching right now I say no to nothing Raj I am open to trying anything the only thing is I want to work with nice people who are honest and authentic and uh, I'm open to trying absolutely anything yeah why would I say no to it sure if it's fun if it's interesting yeah but I'm not driven by the by the glamour of it in fact I have to say that even with my profession uh, the two things I dislike about it uh, is uh, se- number one is self promotion Now, I don't have management in this country so I've got to pimp out all this stuff myself. And the second thing is the nature of the profession means that you have to be in a spotlight uh, but the fame element of it is uh, I'm quite happy to be in a corner and not be noticed. In fact if I go to a place where people don't know what I do 
and they ask me what I do, I'll tell them I'm an accountant because then I get to hear about them and learn about what they're doing and what they do and that deeply interests me. But if you say you're a comedian, then generally conversations tend to revolve around that. Got it. And uh, so we got very little time. So tell me about your book because uh, I know it's progressed from your show into the book. So a little more about it for people who haven't read it. It's an ego trip, yeah, Raj. It's an ego trip. Why would you write a book? Who writes a book? Either you've got a story inside you that you're dying to tell, right? I tell my stories on stage and I get instant gratification. Korn matha market che mahine kitab lekhega, right? So I was not interested in writing it all. That book offer was lying on my table for two years. Uh, there's no money in publishing. You will know this. I mean, if you buy a, a 300 rupee book, I will get 30 rupees. So once you buy, you know, a lot books, of people have asked me to write, and a lot of publishers have reached out to me to write uh, a whole lot of things because of my journey that's been there and uh, my being there, even in the business that I am in. I've, I've been lucky yeah. to be right from how television evolved in this country, and. Uh, like like you said, there's no money. But I'll tell you what does work in a book is that the nature of the medium allows you to give your audience a slightly richer experience because you are able to add far more depth and far more layers into it. So with, with my book, firstly, since it's based on the show, uh, a large chunk of it is straight out of the show. So it's got that stand-up element to it. But it also has allowed me the freedom to give them those additional layers of storytelling which uh, which are not there in uh, in a stand-up show because there you got to give them a punchline every every 15 seconds. So I, and the other thing is, I'm not a very well-read comedian. I don't read a lot. So the book is written for, <laughs> for khotas like me, basically. If you don't read a lot, you'll still be able to read my book. I mean, if you've heard me talk for five minutes, it's like I'm sitting next to you at a bar and telling you stories. It's it's that simple. You'll finish it in four hours. Right. So what next for Papa CJ? You tell me, huh? You just you just made me an offer to come and act somewhere and all, yeah? <laughs> I didn't make you an offer. But <laughs> you never know, an offer may just come your way. But uh, thank you, Papa. It was lovely speaking to you. I mean, uh, I got to know more about stand-up comedy today than I ever did. I always had certain things. And I, you, you put a lot of things in perspective. And thank you for that. And... Uh, your journey has been inspiring. I mean, uh, from Calcutta to Oxford to, you know, consulting to becoming a comedian. And, uh, you know, uh, like you said, you know, today following your passion sounds very thing. But, you know, you finally managed to find your calling and you haven't restricted yourself to that. I mean, you're doing many things like, you know, one of the things which I like about you is your attitudes of saying, I don't say no to anything. You know, everything is welcome, and I really like that. And uh, and it it sh- it also defines your personality. And uh, oh, also, yeah, the, the one thing I'd add you, you you mentioned that bit about you know learning about stand up is that you know I think it's as human beings it's very important to treat other people as human beings as individuals. You know, we as 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 a comic today I do that for my audiences when I customize content. But each individual brings so many different things to the table. And when you mentioned that thing about stand-up, I should have mentioned this some, at some point earlier. When you start, we get five-minute sets, right? So you don't yeah. have the li- you don't have the liberty to tell a three-minute story with one punchline at the end, right? You've got to get in twenty punchlines. Raj, I can show you spreadsheets I have with jokes. I know which joke is rated A, B, and C. 
I know I have a 90 second routine about a beggar that has a punchline every that has 13 punchlines so it is a punchline every 6 seconds you can literally map it as a consultant does and you know you got to start strong end strong then go strong weak strong weak so the strong stuff carries the weak stuff and it's that precise you know so it it can be a science and an art and you can blend the two of them together as well so there's so much that goes into it uh which people often they just oh he's a guy just standing and telling jokes yeah so now now that you uh, you've been doing some shows uh, during the pandemic uh, on uh, virtual comedy i mean have you lots of them right? L- lots of them yeah so i'm giving you 3 minutes 3 minutes after <laughs> <laughs> there's only one activity i can complete in 3 minutes raj <laughs> okay. so, should, I, should i make it 5 no what subject would you like me to talk no, about no, no, no. i'm just saying suppose you had to entertain the audience who are watching it right now Yeah. and you have to do a small virtual comedy you take your yeah. time no problem why don't you just why don't you just entertain them since they have come and listen to you and yeah. uh, taken the time off they need to be entertained so i i give this last session hand it over to you i'm happy to do it uh, i've got to say though i've uh, while i do enjoy uh, doing this uh, online i miss the live stuff uh, the last uh, live tour i did abroad was in singapore and the show i did was hosted by a pakistani stand up comedian so this guy got on stage warmed up the audience and he invited me on to stage in that second i realized i had been a part of history it was the first time i had seen a pakistani invite an indian to occupy a piece of land that he was occupying before and i'll be honest that gig we had a very drunken night finished at 5:30 in the morning next morning i'm catching a flight to kuala lumpur i get to the airport in my hangover I lost my boarding pass. I went to the woman at the counter. I said, "I'm sorry, ma'am. I've lost my boarding pass. Can you give me a fresh one?" She started shouting at me, "How can you be so careless? How can you lose your boarding pass?" I said, "Excuse me. You work for Malaysian Airlines. You lost an entire bloody plane, all right?" Then from there I went to uh, <laughs> uh, I went I went to Seoul in Korea. Raj, have you been to Seoul? Have you been to Korea? No, I haven't. I haven't been to Seoul. Have you been to Japan? Yeah, I have been to Japan. So just like Japan, one of the most interesting things about Seoul are the toilets. Raj, the last time you went to Japan, how long did you go for? Oh, I went for two weeks. And did you ever go to the toilet in those two weeks? Spoke about the toilets. Be assured of that. Yeah, you saw right because I went to Seoul and right next to the port is a computer, and I thought to myself, boss, I've got to try this. Did you try? No, I did, we didn't have a computer, but we were very enamored by the warm seat and all the buttons. Yeah. Yeah. There's these buttons, and I press this button. This jet comes from the back and hits me right in the sweet spot. In that second, I thought to myself, South Korea should have declared war on North Korea. They should have sent a missile towards Kim Jong Un, because if a toilet can find an asshole with such pinpoint accuracy, awesome. Oh, yeah, I've got to tell you this. Uh, this other bit, I, I have to say this that you know, as a uh, as a country, while we have a lot, to, we have a lot to do. Uh, I think there's many things to be proud of as well. You know, our movies are all over the globe. Our fashion is all over the globe. Uh, we had Formula One racing in India. Raj, are you a fan? Are you a fan of Formula One? Yes, to a certain extent. Did you like the race which happened in Delhi? I I haven't watched. In the last two years, I haven't been following. I will tell you this: when the Formula One race happened in Delhi, I was deeply disappointed because this was Formula One racing in the Delhi region. I oh, wanted this, to see Formula. This was a couple of years back, right? Not yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I wanted to see Formula One racing Delhi style. 
In fact, forget that. I wanted to see a one-on-one race: Michael Schumacher versus Daily Driver. Imagine this race: Michael Schumacher in pole position in Formula One car, number two position, call center driver from Gurgaon in Tavera. Lights are all red. Tavera has already rolled down the window. Said, "Kya hai? Race karega? Enchant." All the lights become yellow. Schumacher is waiting to go. This guy is already fucked off. This is Delhi boss. Nobody waits at the yellow light. Comes to the first turn. Road splits up into two parts. Pakarasta and Kacharasta. Schumacher goes on the Pakarasta. Tavera goes on the Kacharasta. Two minutes later, Michael Schumacher has to turn around and come back. Why has he turned around and come back? Because there's metro construction happening. Comes to the pit lane, finds there's no entry sign. Tavera goes straight through. While Schumacher is getting petrol poured, somebody selling him magazines. There's a chindal dancing in the middle of the road. Meanwhile, Tavera goes to a girl, whistles, and comes back. Again, Schumacher catches up with him. Again, the road splits up into two parts: Pakarasta and Kacharasta. This time, Schumacher goes down the Kacharasta. Last time, he got screwed when he went down the Pakarasta. Crosses the finishing line. He's like, "Yes, yes, I won, I won." Get to the podium. Michael Schumacher disqualified. He says, "Are but why, sir? Today is odd number day. You have even number plate." <laughs> I was trying to speed up the delivery of that because I've noticed we are 59 minutes and 30 and 40 seconds. <laughs> right, right, and that was really nice. And uh, thank you so much. I just wanted to see because I, I, I couldn't relate to what virtual comedy would be because it, you said it's picking up and people are doing a lot of it. So this was a good, good sample. And thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for coming on this live chat. And and this is a pastime for me. I enjoy doing this. interacting with different people getting to know them and it's like i said it's a it's a very candid chat it's it's unstructured there's nothing at be it's it's free flowing and that's what makes it uh, beautiful that's what i guess uh, papa thank you so much thank you raj thanks so much for having me all the best yeah thank you thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this sochcast what is your soch send us your comments on our facebook page and instagram page It's time for you to do your own sochcast at sochcast apni soch duniya ko sunao sochcast